Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jeff Hiller is an American actor and comedian. He currently co-stars in HBO's Somebody Somewhere as Joel, who welcomes Bridget Everett's Sam back to their Kansas hometown and becomes her best friend through thick and thin. Hiller is originally from a small town in Texas, but has made his home in New York City since 2001. When and where, he quickly found his comedy family at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. His stage credits include Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, and he scored recurring roles on Hulu's The Hot Wives of Orlando, as well as The Hot Wives of Las Vegas, Pop's Nightcap, USA's Playing House, and most recently FX's American Horror Story NYC. Pillar sat down with me to talk about finding his way out from small-town America to big-city improv, the importance of balancing expectations with reality, and how he and Bridget Everett maintained such incredible chemistry on screen. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more common news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Jeff Hiller, last things first, congratulations once more on Somebody Somewhere. I mean, I might be one of the Thank first you. people to be able to congratulate you on the Peabody Award nomination. Yeah. 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 Wow. You're the first one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> how how have you been enjoying? Uh, is this your first award season? I know you also got to do the Independent Spirit Awards. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what is the award season? <laughs> that's that's how not plugged in I am. I'm like, I don't know. Is it my first award season? It seems like it just keeps it keeps happening. I don't know. Well, true. I, I suppose there are awards throughout the year. Maybe it's more for films that there's a specific award season. Yeah. For TV, because yeah. you have the Emmys in the fall and then Golden Globes. In the winter, Spirit Awards in the winter. I, I, yeah, who knows? <laughs> we are, we are in this in this magical moment as you and I talk. We're in a we're in a brief period of time where, before this Zoom, I googled St. Louis sushi, and it uh, still pulls up sushi from St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> there are no other definitions for St. Louis sushi at this moment in time. Oh, you think? Do you think we'll will warrant a what do you call it? An entry in the Urban Dictionary or something? <laughs> I mean, how could it not? How could it yeah. not become a a culinary thing? Or yeah, or culinary. I don't know about culinary. <laughs> well, something. Cincinnati has their weird chili or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, people That's could good. confuse this first anyhow. <laughs> I'm getting way off topic. Who was the Sam in your hometown? Oh, that's did you have did you have one? Well, I had a lot of women who I obsessed over and worshipped and and wanted to uh, just you know sit at their feet and watch them um, do cool cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a woman in my college, which was in a very small town. 
Her name was Jennifer Cohn and she had lived in New York City and she was a glamorous. <laughs> she she like didn't own a pair of shoes that were flat. <laughs> like she when she worked out, she wore like these platform sneakers. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love this girl. She's so cool. <laughs> So you know, I'm like a, I'm a, I'm a, a gay person of a certain era. So, <laughs> you know, we're, that's my thing <laughs> to worship Do you consider fabulous yourself women. Gen X or, or Xennial or whatever? Oh, I'm definitely not Xennial. I'm fully Gen X, just Gen straight X. up. Like, I think by definition, I can't even like fudge into being a millennial. <laughs> Some people try to be like, like in astrology where they try to say, well, I'm sort of on the cusp. Uh, I'm a millennial cusp. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm a Gen X sun, but I'm millennial rising. Yeah. And my Mars is in Z and, you know, zoomies or whatever those people are. What is it called? (laughs) Gen Z. I don't even know what they're called. Is it Zennial? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I I just saw something on, uh, it was a tweet because Twitter is still a thing as we're talking. Uh, I saw a tweet passed <laughs> around this. This is like, everything's going to be like before and after this podcast. <laughs> right. And we're capturing a moment in time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, this post on Twitter from the past week was talking about this woman wanting to rename millennials the Spice Girls generation. Like, can we just be called that? Can we be called the Spice Girls generation instead of millennials? That makes sense. Solely from my viewing of uh, of RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) Every season, there's that one queen, you know, right in the middle of their 30s, who's just like, I'm a Spice Girl drag queen. (laughs) Are they always the same Spice Girl, though? No, 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 no. But they're all like, girl power. And they hold their their little peace fingers up and stuff. (laughs) Uh. Getting back to somebody somewhere though on HBO oh, yeah. or or on Max. Speaking of moments in time, uh, by the time you listen to this, somebody somewhere is available on Max, the one Sorry. to watch when you want to watch HBO. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? You're wait, you're a millennial? Is that what you? No, I'm Gen X. I'm you're Gen X. Okay, yeah. same. And do, I don't. You probably don't remember this show, but do you remember the show Heart to Heart? It was like. They were, yeah, like they were husband they were, uh, and wife, but also wherever they went, there was a murder and they solved it. <laughs> yeah, they drove around in a convertible and they had like a butler. Yeah, the butler and his name was Max. Ah. And so whenever I hear Max, I hear I think of him and I think of him being like, when they met, it was Mida. <laughs> <laughs> I never really watched the show, but I remember the opening credits and then like zooming around in a little convertible and, exactly. and that voiceover from the guy, Max, yeah. <laughs> Um, but somebody somewhere is, do you think Joel is who you might've been if you never left Texas? Um, I think I would be a lot like Joel, but I don't think I'd be quite as good as Joel. I, I, um, I mean, I would, I would definitely, you know, have found a family of, of like-minded outsiders and I would probably be going to a church and I, um, but, but I don't have the organizational ability to. To, to organize a choir practice or or like see someone and be like, what you need is to sing <laughs> and then provide me a place for them to do that. I don't have that gift. No. I'm, I'm like, oh, you're screwed up in your head. Me too. 
Well, that's that's part of Joel's thing. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, you know, we look a lot alike too. You know? <laughs> different hair, decidedly different hair. But um, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> how did you wind up finding the Upright Citizens Brigade? Especially back in two thousand one, was it still in the original yeah. former strip strip club? Yeah, on Twenty Second Street, exactly. Um, how did you? So, how did you find it so early in its? Well, I was living in Denver. I was I was a social worker in Denver, Colorado, because I had done a year of AmeriCorps there, or it was like sort of a Christian version of AmeriCorps called Urban Servant Corps. And oh, okay. um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And uh, while I was there another i lived in this <laughs> to explain this i have to <laughs> say all these other things that are so confusing but i lived in this sort of commune <laughs> okay <laughs> but like again a christiany kind of a commune I mean, one of one of my good friends who was also in the commune she was like i'm gonna take i'm gonna i used to do improv in college and i'm gonna go do an improv uh, audition or whatever here. And she was like, come with me. Cause what if they're like a cult or a murder or something? And so I went with her and I got on the team too. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and That's I was such like, a classic I- comedian origin story is <laughs> it was your friend who really wanted to do it yeah. and they dragged you along and then, <laughs> Oh no, I'm the funny one. I'm the one. Well, she got on too. I mean, I think pretty much anybody who showed up got on, but right. <laughs> what I should say is, I wanted to perform. I, I wanted to be an actor, like since I was four years old. I just didn't okay. think you could be. And and I also told myself, like, oh, I can't improvise. I, I'm not quick. She's quick. I'm not quick. Which is like now when people tell me that, I'm like, eh, you probably you probably could. You just don't realize because you've never done it. And and thank God that happened because so I I got really into improv and doing improv like two or three nights a week because it was like the only outlet I had for performing. And also I was working with like homeless youth or, and then I worked with HIV prevention and there's like hard, hard work that I wasn't really good at. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, I took a, an improv class at this brand new theater that was opened by a guy from second city called bovine metropolis. I remember that because it's like cow town bovine metropolis. That's why they call it that anyway. And I told him I was moving to New York for my master's in social work. And he was like, well, if you take improv there, take it at the UCB, that's the place to take it. And I was like, I've never even heard of that. And he's like, there's a show on comedy central, you idiot. And then I, I moved here on June 1st, 2001. And I signed up for my first class on June 1st, 2001. It was the first thing I did. I, I went down I had got, I'd come in May to get an apartment Mm -hmm. and I, I, before I even like went to Ikea, I went and you had to do it in person. It was before internet signups. Right. Right. It was like, yeah, it was the first iteration of the web. My, uh, coincidentally, my New York city moving date is June 1st, Really, June 1st, 2007. So by the time I got to New York city, I feel like I was catching going to UCB shows in that the first Dell Close Marathon I went to that summer. I feel like I was catching UCB in its, at the, almost the peak of its New York City existence before people started to migrate to the LA yeah, campus sense. at the LA commune. Yeah. But what was it like in June of 2001 when you had to go in person and sign up? It was before Polar was even on SNL. So it was like, uh, I mean, they had had their Comedy Central show, so people knew about it from that. But that right. was sort of a cult thing. But, like, I remember my first class 
was with this guy, Sean Conroy, and he later oh, yeah. told me it was the worst class he's ever had. <laughs> and it was really bad. There were, there were like, I, I should say there were people who were having some serious mental health issues that were enrolled in the class. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, it wasn't quite as, as exclusive as it is now. No. Oh God. No, no, it wasn't exclusive <laughs> like, at all. It was just like, please come in, take a class. Well, I don't think it's that, that exclusive even now. It's like, if you pay the money, you can come. <laughs> well, that's exclusive. I mean, that excludes the, I guess that's true. That is the mentally kind of, ill people who don't have money. Right, right, right. That's like capitalism's yeah. Uh, exclusivity. Yeah. Okay. So Sean Roy was, te- Conroy was teaching. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, it was a, there was one woman in the class and then like all of these men who were just really, um, there was a couple that, really needed a, a medical intervention truly and then there were all these bros just like super duper bros and i was very much the only uh queer person or um a little bit almost like the only self-aware person <laughs> um although there was one person that was in that became famous um mike zegan who is on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? He is oh. Mr. Maisel. <laughs> um, anyway, so it was a a really rough class, but I do remember I was we were. It was like before there was even a curriculum or anything, so it was just sort of like whatever Sean wanted to do that day is what we did that day. And I remember we were talking about object work, and I lit some candles with a match, and then I shook the match. Uh, you know, it was all imaginary these were mm-hmm. <laughs> mimed things and the fact that i shook the match to put it out mm-hmm. i remember he like really praised me for that and i uh i was like i'm good i'm good <laughs> and I, 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 I do believe that that one compliment fueled me through my four classes because oh wow i was the only gay person i ever saw i was complete and like you know, p- people were, I, I mean, it's, it wasn't even microaggressions. It was like straight up, like, you know, calling me the F word in, in a scene, you know what I mean? Wow. And by the way, I didn't say anything. I was just like, yes. <laughs> well, you're taught to accept the offers, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's kind of bonkers, but um, yeah, whatever. Uh, 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 I'm, I'm glad I did it. I, um, you know, I wanted to be a stand up too, but I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do anything. I needed somebody to be like, this is a class. You can take this class. If you pay this amount of money from that job that you, that terrible job you're working, you can pay this amount of money and you can come in here and this is how you break into this uh, world. And that is what I did. And it, you know, people are like, it's such a terrible deal. You, they, you have to pay to perform and kind of, yeah, but I, it was my only entry. I had, I didn't know anybody else and I didn't know, I didn't know how to start. So well, and it was a completely different atmosphere and world of choices. There were so, but there were so fewer choices in two thousand one. Yeah. So, at what point did you start to realize a that the UCB was becoming a hot commodity, and two that you might be able to (laughs) benefit from that? Oh well, those are two separate. answers um that's why i separated them yeah yeah good 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 thoughts good thoughts um well i mean i I will say 
I dropped out of my master's program immediately <laughs> to focus on improv. Oh, so I, I, I had an inkling that this might be something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the first time I realized, oh, I think this is like major is uh, Paul Shear was on Best Week Ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and somebody was like, he has a deal with Whoopi Goldberg. I, I don't even know what that means. Even to this day, I'm like, what does that mean? He had a deal with Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> I don't know. Did, did, I guess maybe she had a production. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, I was like, if Paul Shear is on my television and at one point had lunch with Whoopi Goldberg, this place is where people are happening, you know? Because <laughs> when, when Amy got onto SNL, it was like, she was like one of the founders. So it was sort of like, right. well, of course she's, you know, she's different from us. She's, she's like a grown up. She was in Chicago. She's like fancy, but somehow Paul Shear doing well. It was like, and then like Rob Hubel was in, uh, was like the cell, cell phone man who, who okay. annoyed cell phone man in the movie yeah. theater. And I was like, I know him. He coached my improv group. I, I see him on this movie. <laughs> so that was it. And then uh, I realized what you could be because this guy, Bob Wilpfong, uh, who mm-hmm. I don't even know if he would know who I was. Like, I I didn't know him, but he was on this team called Neutrino with Kurt Bonholer, who I, I know was on your podcast. And, and uh, he had a blog. He had a blog that was like, this is what it's like to audition for commercials. And um, I used it much like this podcast. I imagine people use uh, to be like, okay, this is my entry. I just need some information. I just need some information on how right. to get an agent. And what do you do when you go and <laughs> try and hold a Snickers bar up to your head or whatever? <laughs> how do you do that convincingly? Exactly. When you know 200 people are doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, he would talk about like a class he took and how he got an agent out of that class. And so then I'd be like, all right, I need to save up $350 to take this class. And so I, I that that means I, I have to pull back on some of my improv teams because they all cost money. And so I'm going to f- put, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. that I was how I planned. No. Yeah. I mean, 2007 was the year I moved to New York City. Mm-hmm. It was the year that I started the website, the Comics Comic. And part of it, frankly, was because it didn't feel like there was any place that people could go to get information about what's happening in comedy or why it's happening. It's so uh, true. It was also what I remember, you know, you mentioned uh, Sheer and Hubel. That's when they had their MTV show, Human Giant right. with right. Aziz. And uh, yeah, it just felt like everything was happening at that point. Totally. Yeah, um, it, it was. Yeah, it was. It's. um yeah, and then everybody moved to LA. <laughs> and then when you go there, when you go to LA, it's like all you can talk about is how comedy works and how to. <laughs> it's like the literally the only conversation you have had. I lived there for four years. I, don't, I didn't have any other conversations besides that. <laughs> Whenever I hear people, in a, they're always talking about taking a meeting. I'm like, what, what do you mean taking a meeting? <laughs> Going to lunch? That is what is what they mean by taking a meeting. They mean going to lunch. (laughs) They go to Cafe 101, which is called something else now. And they sit there and they, uh, you know, talk about a screenplay. And then at the table behind them, there's two people talking about a a pilot and the table behind them. (laughs) It's just all. I I did. I was just back in L.A. for a week in February and I did. It was my first time back in the UCB Franklin venue Mm -hmm. under the new ownership and uh it felt the same but weird 
Yeah. <laughs> I was just there too. I just did a show there when I was there in March. And um, yeah, it's, it is strange. You know, what was even weirder is doing shows at improv asylum on 26th street after the yes. UCB had left. Yeah. The, that one was really, really beneath weird. Beneath Christides. Like, yes. Yeah. It was like, you had to go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> it was very disconcerting for my aged brain. <laughs> like this does not compute. Well, I guess that is, but that, that is the feeling that the classic feeling that anyone has when they go to like a high school reunion and they go back into their high school and they're like, wait, this is the building that I was? it seems right. smaller or everything seems right. different now. Well, and I have to just do this because I will never go to my high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and now and now that theater is no more. It's going to be luxury condos. I know, I know. So it's demolished. Don't it's even like have a boiler that. room or something. Yeah, there's no UCB <laughs> memory to go back to in New York City now. Um, I I know you've mentioned on in other interviews and podcasts that your IMDb catalog sometimes reads like a hate crime. <laughs> and that's a joke for my stand up. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which I other... probably have said on podcasts, the... as if I'm just thinking of it right then. <laughs> One of the other things I noticed, though, is things didn't really seem to pick up for you, according to IMDb, until 2011, <laughs> which is 10 years after you signed up for that class. Did, did, so yeah, did... Sean. <laughs> well, That's true. No, I'm only asking. <laughs> But I'm asking you now because there's a happy ending. Like <laughs> on HBO, everything is great now. But but that ten year period, did were there moments where you're like, I might have to move back to Texas or Oh, not that. No, no, no. <laughs> no not that. <laughs> or I might have to move back to Denver. Um, I had moments of like I mean it was really it was difficult. I just I I feel like I I, I'm, a, I'm, first of all, I'm just unique in general. Like, I don't look, I don't look like someone who's on TV. And you know, like, a lot of times in interviews, people are like, what's, what's it like to be the, you know, a, a lead on a TV show and not be conventionally attractive? And you're like, Jesus, uh, <laughs> I can say it. You can't say it. Um, but I know that I'm not, I don't fit in well. I also came here like when Will. Grace had just started. And so I think there was really like this thing of like, um, we have our one gay show and we don't need any, any, <laughs> we don't really need anything else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm just really gay. Like no one is going to be like, you play the father unless the father has a little secret. You know what I'm saying? Like no, that they just, I never got cast in that. Um, so I just spent, 10 years. Tr- I mean, I did, I did theater and stuff like that too, but um, that, that wouldn't show up on my IMDb page. That mm-hmm. is pretty good. It was pretty good stuff. But um, did you get I, any uh, Snickers commercials or things like that? I was in, it's funny you say that I was in a Snickers commercial. I was in six Snickers commercials mm. plus 30 minutes of web content, plus a national tour of NFL games. <laughs> and that would have been around 2007, right? When you moved. Oh, nice. Yeah, I did a lot of commercials. Did a ton of commercials. Well, that's um, got that. It took definitely... me a long time. Right, it took me a long time to break into that commercial field too, because like I was reading Bob Wiltfong's blog in two thousand three, and right. I got my first commercial in two thousand seven. So, I I think what I would say is like I feel like um, if you stick around long enough, you you probably will find a niche and find a way in. But mm. like I also felt like 
if I hadn't gotten somebody somewhere, I, I, I almost, I was ready to explode. Just, I had so much more to give and no one would let me give it. Um, and so I, but I will say, cause I'd lived in LA for four years trying to make it there. And I, I like tested for pilots and things like that, but nothing ever actually went. And when I came back here, I started doing stand up. Um, and again, I didn't know how to break into the stand-up world. So what I ended up doing is just like the, my first like big show was I just did an hour long show <laughs> at a place that I just rented out <laughs> at the duplex. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Because I didn't know like, oh, you should do like, <laughs> you should get 10 minutes first. Right. You should do 60 minutes first. <laughs> um, but right. you should go to Rafifi or she, you should go to. Yes, exactly. Well, and I, I even went to Rafifi. Like I would go to Rafifi and do like bits, like sketches. Mm -hmm. I did. Anyway, the point is, (laughs) what is the point? Um, I know I'm lucky. Like I know there are people who are just as talented as me with just as many obstacles, if not more, Mm -hmm. who haven't had that lucky moment of matching a TV show that people actually watch with the talents that they actually possess. And it's, I, I realize that's complete luck and I'm very grateful for it. How did you, before that happened though, how did you reconcile? I, I need to, I need this gig. I want this gig, but this gig is a hate crime. Oh, that. <laughs> like, where it's like, I need to be on TV. I want to be on TV, yeah. but I know this role is not serving me well. Yeah. I, I, I know I've watched uh, some, some comedy shows by comedians where they they lean into the satire of it usually it's about their ethnicity either they're indian or they're hispanic or they're black and and they go to an audition and and they have this scene where the casting people are like yeah but you're not doing it right 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 and yeah they have to lean into the stereotype is that what it felt like for you in in that in that period of time well i think the sort of weird thing is that um, I am already the stereotype. I don't have to lean in that much. Um, okay. <laughs> and like, like I once, I once read something. I'd done a pilot that, that made it to air and I was just a guest star on it. And they wrote something like, not cool. This homophobic character is the kind of gay we don't portray anymore. And it was just me being me. <laughs> and I was like, Oh. I, I didn't even think this was a bad one. I thought that, <laughs> this is just, and it was like, it was written by a gay person and he mm-hmm. wrote the role specifically for me because it was like something I do. And anyway, I think what I tried to do was just play every role to the top of my intelligence. And I think that's why I booked some of them is because I was, I made it more than just a stereotype. I made it into more specific person as opposed to just the bitch or just the tailor who, there was one. There was one role I had to do where I, I was. A, I played a tailor, a recurring role as a tailor, and uh, I did it three times. And in every episode of this show, it was a soap opera. The, the um, guiding light. Gag. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I was gag- looking at your IMDb. <laughs> I was looking at your. Sorry. Every single episode, I. All I did was measure the thing. And the reason they brought me in is every single episode, the guy would be like, hey, that's my junk when I took the inseam. And that one I did feel like, mm, this one is really just for the health insurance. This is. <laughs> and then I found out later. Right, it was I need, after I, I, need not sag. My, I need my, my SAG benefits another year. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> looking looking over your your credits too, like a, a couple of the things that that were bigger for you before this were things like the Hot Wives series or Playing House, and mm. both of those you're in essence playing house with your UCB mates. Yeah. I'm in a lot of shows created by UCB people, but all of them are created by, by women at the UCB. <laughs> um, ah. I, I never, no, you know, nobody ever put, none of the men. That's not true. Anthony and Tamanek and Pete Gross put me on the president show. Okay. So I'm at playing a reporter. So I should, I should give them full credit for that. But everyone else, it, I, you know, I think it's just because like, they don't know how to write a gay guy or whatever. <laughs> But yeah, I was I mean, so they grateful. can sketch something and then just say you flesh it out. Yeah, I might be happy to. <laughs> Didn't happen. I feel like I just read an interview with uh, Bill Lawrence, where, uh, and it was specifically talking about the show he has on Apple TV Plus now called Shrinking, Shrinking yeah. with Jessica Williams, where he talked about, well, I can't write for a black woman, but so I just wrote what I could and then told Jessica, you make it your own. Right. That's wonderful. I think that's great. So, and to to realize that too, yeah. But then, how how important was it then to have those UCB connections to be able to sustain you? Well, it was really important, and I was so grateful. You know, I I was on Broad City, Difficult People, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, Playing House. There's, there's others, even Bridget's show in a certain way. You know, it was so wonderful. But those. That those like five credits are over like a six year period. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it didn't. Not, this is not a slight against them, but it just didn't pay the bills completely. So, you know, you teach improv, you you do corporate improv events, you temp when it gets desperate. You you know, I was temping in two thousand eighteen. Uh, it, it's not. <laughs> It's, it's not pretty, but <laughs> but it's real. But it's real. Yeah, it's the the real life of being an actor yeah. or a comedic actor. Yeah. Um, you know, to bring this on home, one of the things, one of the many things I love about somebody somewhere is just how how much like I don't know how much you actually knew Bridget before the show, but in every episode there are these moments where you two just connect on an on such a deep emotional level and like like devolve into giggles but it's called for in the script it's not like you're cracking each other up right to like to like try to make you break like a sketch on snl or something like that it's more like that's how close friends you are in the show is is that no matter how painfully single either or both of you might be in the show you can always giggle about it Right. The showrunners, Hannah Boss and Paul Thoreen, they have this this thing about everything needs to be authentic and it's not a TV show. It's it's real life. And so you laugh a lot in real life, but it's not like, you know, how in, like at a sitcom, like somebody else say something that's like genuinely hilarious. Like if you said it in real life, everybody would be like, what? <laughs> Which, you know, happened in the writer's room when they pitched that idea. Right. right. They laughed about it so hard. But in in sitcom world, you sort of ignore that and move on. And so in in our world, it's important to to actually le- react to the funny thing that your friend said in the way that you would react to the funny thing that your friend said. Yeah, so you're not you're not relying on the audience to do the laughing. You're like, right. no, no, it's it's funny, and we're gonna 
Yeah. And so we improvise, but we don't improvise in a way that's like, let's think of the wackiest thing in the world. You know, it's you, you're improvising along the lines of getting this, you, you know, you, you have a script, but you, you take the words, you put them up differently in your mouth. You might pitch something new in a take so that it makes your scene partner giggle harder and stuff, but you're not trying to be bizarre or strange. You're trying mm-hmm. to be authentic. You're trying to be real. So I think that helps give our characters chemistry. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, did you, had you done much at Joe's pub? I, I always think of Bridget as more of a Joe's pub performer than a UCB person. So did she's not a UCB person at all. Yeah. She's yeah. totally a Joe's pub person. Were you a, I was, I was, that's where I ended. I mean, at first I did that hour long at, at the the duplex duplex, and and then you did it, perfected it. And then I took it to Joe's pub where um, I did it a few times and then I, I've done a few shows there. I'm doing another one in August. So yeah. Good to know. Yeah. (laughs) I just (laughs) done the paperwork. So I don't even have a title yet. (laughs) And, and, And since you brought this up yourself in the interview, if there's uh-huh. if there's a 17 or 18 year old queer kid out there in Texas or Kansas or Denver <laughs> who's listening to this podcast and is like I, I know there's something for me in the big city mm-hmm. or I know there's something for me out there more than this small town existence what would you tell them Well first of all I don't think they're listening to me I don't I don't have a big youth fan base but if they are <laughs> If they accidentally, my demo play. is all eight to seventeen. It's a, is it? Oh, okay, great. No, I'm kidding. I, I you got that. You got that. Uh, what are they called? Uh, there's something. Anyway, TikTok. Yeah, the TikTok generation. Yeah. Uh, if this gets clipped on TikTok, uh, what would I say? I would say, um, you know yourself. Don't let other people tell you who you are. You know who you are. So trust yourself, not what other people tell you. That's what I would say. <laughs> what would you say? Let's say there's a 17 year old who's like, I want to start a a website. I want to have a podcast. I want to dissect comedy and review and run, <laughs> run away. Run away. <laughs> <laughs> it's Fair. not working. It's not working out. Don't <laughs> don't fall into the trap I did. But then again, I mean, I think I've heard this enough from comedians to know that it's true for me too, as a journalist or as a writer, I don't do this because I like doing this. I I do this because it's really the only thing I, I know. Yeah. Everything else feels like I'm faking it. Everything else feels like I'm acting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This doesn't. Which is beautiful. That means you're on the right path. That means you're listening to yourself and not the world. Cause the world will be like, it's too hard. Don't do it. (laughs) <laughs> when I told my mom I wanted to be a child actor, she was like, mm, you're too tall. <laughs> but I listened to my own heart. <laughs> and look at you now. You are somebody and you are somewhere. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Jeff Miller, thank you so much. I know this helped me immensely. Mm, I, I, <laughs> I hope it works. <laughs> worked out well for you and for anybody listening. Awesome. Last 
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.